Would you stand with us tonight? This is where worship starts Here in the temple of my heart Remembering who you are And all you've done This is your majesty All I have tasted and I've seen Remembering who you are And once again
today by faith we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season as your faithful remnant we will house your very presence we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears we are no longer victims but we are victors in Christ we will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy but we will give health healing and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair we will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we're thankful to be in your house tonight, gathered together to exalt your name. And I just pray tonight that your will be done, Lord, that our praises are a sweet aroma to you tonight. And as Pastor Randy comes forth tonight with your word, I just pray you would anoint him and give him the freedom, Lord, once again to proclaim the Word of God. We're thankful that the presence of God is so sweet in this place continually, that you've blessed us for many years and you continue to do that. Lord, we're thankful. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. darkness my God that is who you are 
If you've ever made a way for you, would you give him praise one more time? He's done it for me when I didn't even deserve it. He's made a way. Praise the name of the Lord. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you this first Sunday night of the new year with you. And uh, I'm humbled for the privilege to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in 2022. That God finds a way somehow to use me to preach the gospel. It amazes me. It's a new year, and it's just because the clock struck midnight, things didn't immediately change, especially for the good. And we as a nation, as a church, as a family, are continually going through a lot of things right now. And has anybody else besides me even wondered, why am I going through all of this? You feel like at times it's just bad news everywhere you turn. Troubles are escalating for all of us. I'm talking about good people who think they're doing the best to do things right, honorably, morally, intentionally, yet finding so much opposition in our lives. Now, I know there are consequences of sin, but we're promised blessings with righteousness. So what about people who are like Job? God said he was a righteous man, but yet encountered great troubles. So not serving God didn't cause him his troubles. Actually, it was the fact that he did serve God that brought him much of his troubles. It put him on the enemy's list. Read the story if you haven't. And through those trials and struggles and sufferings, Job questioned God at one point, asking him, am I supposed to be in this place? Do you realize where I'm at, God? Asking God the big question, why? He was in a place where at one point he couldn't see how anything good could come out of his circumstances. You know, you can do certain things and you can expect to end up in certain places because of your actions. Well, you know, you brought some things upon yourself. But some of the toughest places to be in life is in those unexpected places. A place you didn't choose to be in. A place you didn't expect to be in. You didn't feel you deserved to be in. You never seen it coming. It wasn't on your radar. Nor was it on your agenda. You were just merrily driving down the road of life one day. Listen to your Michael Buble Christmas music. Singing along with him, probably off key. And then bam, you're blindsided. You just got T-boned. And you immediately end up in an unexpected place in your life. Your day started off so right, but just suddenly it changed. And you sit and you wonder, how can anything good come out of this place I'm in, this mess I'm in? This was a question Nathaniel asked Philip in John 1, verse 45, 46. And it was concerning our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me read what led up to this question he proposed. John had just finished baptizing Jesus the day before revealing him to Israel as the Messiah. So now I want to pick up with John 1, verse 35 is where my text will come from, starting. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, talking about the day after when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which was translated to Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophet also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael replied, Nazareth! Exclamation point. Nazareth! Can anything good come from there? 
Nathaniel asked. He said it with a mountain of skepticism. That's what we do when we hear something so shocking. Let me hear you say that with shock. Let's animate this for just a moment. On the count of three, I want you to say Nazareth like you're just shocked. One, two, three. Nazareth, Dudley, Neelyville, Poplar Bluff. Why was Nathaniel so shocked and critical to hear he come from Nazareth? Well, let's first look at Nazareth. Nazareth was the childhood home of Jesus, housing both a Muslim and a Christian population. It was uncelebrated. It was a mostly forgotten city off the beaten path located not far from Galilee. And according to the Gospel of Luke, Nazareth was the home village of Jesus' mother Mary, as well as the place where the angel Gabriel informed Mary that she would give birth to Jesus. And according to the Gospel of Matthew, Nazareth is the place where Joseph and Mary settled in when they were raising Jesus. After they had taken Jesus to dedicate him in Jerusalem, the scripture says they went back down from Jerusalem. And what was meant by back down wasn't talking just about geographical location. It was also talking back, back down, socially speaking. They returned back to Nazareth, an unknown, unknown town to many. The city of Nazareth was despised by so many because of its little size and its social demographics. Such a remote, small village of sort. They estimate about 500 people lived there in that day. With that perception, in Nathaniel's mind, it caused him to question, how can anything good come out of this place? I mean, Philip, you're talking about the Messiah coming out of such a minute city which lacks respect. For so many of us, humility is hard to understand as a strength. We are indoctrinated to believe big things come out of big places. The underdog isn't often considered. With that thought in mind, many of us are in places in our lives conditionally, circumstantially, unwillingly, that cause us to question, can anything come good come out of the place that I'm in? Some of you, because of your background or social status or family reputation, upbringing, hometown, past mistakes, question, can anything good come out of my life? Can anything good come out of my dysfunctional family? I mean, I don't have the last right name. I live on the wrong side of tracks. I lack the education. I have limited abilities. You're saying, I'm just a Southeast Missouri redneck. I was born to uneducated parents, a little rural town. We were so poor that we couldn't even pay attention. We were so poor we had to go to McDonald's and put a milkshake on layaway. We were so poor that we ate cereal with a fork to save milk. We were so poor thieves broke in our house and left us money. So how can you say anything good come out of this? Seriously, though. I was raised in the poorest neighborhood in Sykes, Missouri as a child. I lived across the railroad tracks, actually right along the side of the railroad tracks, so close it sounded like a train was coming through our house about 2 a.m. every night. Our family of eight lived in a two-bedroom, older, pretty run-down house. Only a coal stove used for heat and to boil water for a hot bath. We only raised windows, and a window had a window fan for air conditioning purposes in that hot summer months. My father had no education. He had a reputation of being a fighter. He was actually, at one point in his life, a Golden Gloves boxing champion. He worked only seasonal jobs. We ate many meals consisting of only commodity foods. Neither of my parents were Christians, and we all wore hand-me-down clothes and Goodwill specials to school. And due to our circumstances, it has made me often question, can anything good come out of our family? And many of you have had the same questions. Can anything good come out of my divorce? Can anything good come out of my pain and suffering? Can anything good come out of my cancer? Can anything good come out of me losing my job? Can anything good come out of my broken home? Come out of my bankruptcy? 
Can anything good come out of my lost children? Can anything good come out of my alcoholic dad? Can anything good come out of my depression? Can anything good come out of my Nazareth? That place I'm living in, that situation that I'm living in, those are legitimate questions to have. Now, let me ask you, though, how many of us have wrongly judged people by where they come from, by their past, by their last name, by their age, by where they live, by their social status, by their education, never expected them to be anything significant? How many of us have made decisions about people by where they come from? See, when Nathaniel asked that skeptical question, he wondered that based upon his opinion of the place he was coming from. Little old house, hole in the wall, remote village. How could the long-awaited Messiah come from such a place? That was the perspective of so many, even leading to the rejection of Christ by the Jews because of how he came. Born in a stable, lived as a pauper, he was known to be lowly, meek, and mild. They thought he'd become as a warrior and rule as a mighty king. He couldn't even perform miracles in his own hometown because of their doubt and unbelief. All they could ever see him as was a carpenter, Joseph's son. How many of you, since you've been saved, have had people who still see you as the guy who used to or the girl who used to? Now, I remember Helen, the lady I often speak of, who was so instrumental in inducing me to Christ, walked into my office that day, shared with me a vision she saw of me. Well, I'm not even yet a Christian. She said, I had a vision last night. I saw you behind a pulpit. You was either preaching or teaching or singing. I'm not sure, but I saw you. My reaction was, I laughed and said, yeah, all right, Helen, me? She replied, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I saw you. She wasn't laughing. She believed what she was telling me. But you know why I chuckled when she said that? It was an expression of disbelief. Because I couldn't see anything good coming out of me, knowing where I came from, knowing all the things that I had done, what I'm sure, thought, what I'm sure people thought of me, I thought of me too myself. But God saw something in me I could have never seen in my life. To me, my life didn't fit the protocol. And for where I'm standing today, I do know one thing for sure. Helen really did see me standing here. See, even as a church, we are wondering, can anything good come out of the conditions and the circumstances we are in today as a nation? While a great falling away is taking a place, in the midst of all this chaos we're living in, all the evil plotting, with all the spiritual wickedness in high places, the ungodly leadership that's prevailing, making it appear that righteousness is becoming obscure, our enemy has turned up the heat, church. No matter how much we stand by faith, things seem or appear to be getting worse instead of better. And we probably are praying more than we've ever prayed. Yet on the surface, we appear to be losing ground. The church seemingly is becoming less important to so many. In our obscurity, many Christians are having trouble understanding the place that we are in. The skeptics are already asking, can anything good come out of this place we're in? I don't know about you, but by faith, I'm still declaring that underneath this artificial surface, this deceptive mirage, something's moving, something's changing in the very foundations of truth. And truth is about to surface and boldly proclaim, when you go through the deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Come and you will see. Follow me. Come on, somebody. 
This is just a season of obscurity for the body of Christ before the purpose of all of this is about to be revealed. We are fixing to arise and shine, and our enemy is fixing to be scattered. God's rising up an army out of the least likely, obscure places and obscure people. Hallelujah. Ha, woo! What is obscurity? Webster says it's being in the state of being unknown, inconspicuous, unimportant. It's when things are unclear or difficult to understand. So knowing the meaning of obscurity, let me say what I just said again using the dictionary terminology. We're fixing to arise and shine. Our enemies will be scattered because God is rising up an army out of the most unknown, most inconspicuous, most unimportant people and places. And it's going to be very difficult and hard for your enemy to understand when he thought God would never, ever use you. But hear me now, naysayers. The church may be in a season of being unknown or being treated as unimportant. And this season we're in may be unclear and difficult for us to understand. But there is a purpose for this season of difficulty that's fixing to be revealed to the world. They may not know your name right now. They may not respect you right now because of where you came from. You may have been the least likely yesterday, but your day is coming when your purpose you've never, you've always been prepared for it is going to be revealed. And you will become your enemy's greatest nightmare and you will fulfill God's purpose for your life. Hallelujah. I don't care where you come from. I don't care who raised you. I don't care how much money you ain't got. I don't care how much education you don't have. Go ahead and rise up. Rise up and be counted in. Hallelujah. Glory. See, David was the least likely one of all his brothers to be chosen as king, a little red-headed, ruddy boy, because God was looking for the one who was after his heart. And so he did choose him. God wasn't concerned about his stature or his physical strength of his popularity or what others included his brother or even his brothers, what, what his brothers thought of him. He was interested in a heart that would love his people. Even after being anointed king, he never took the throne until 17 years later. You know what he did? He lived in obscurity on the backside of the desert, tending sheep, inconspicuous, unimportant, and the least likely place a soon-to-be king would ever live. But he wasn't wasting time the whole time. God was preparing him in his season of obscurity, teaching him how to shepherd his sheep. And when the season was over, David was announced to all as the chosen king of Israel. And he became the greatest king that Israel ever had in its history. Ah, church, before you was ever formed in your mother's womb, God knew you and had a plan and a purpose for your life before you were ever born. You were born with a purpose regardless of where you were raised, who you were born to, regardless what side of town you live on, regardless of what your color of your skin, regardless of your size or stature. But here's what I want all of us to learn tonight. When God has a greater purpose for your life, come on, somebody. It often involves a season of obscurity where you may feel forgotten, unimportant, like he's placed you on a shelf and forgotten all about you. You may feel like you've been sidelined from the game because of your inability or your lack of. Oh, no, you haven't. You got it all wrong. It means you've been chosen. Man, I am feeling the release of this truth tonight. Hallelujah. Woo. Come on. It means you've been chosen, but a season of preparation is necessary to prepare you for the greater picture. But when that season of preparation is over, when it's time and your purpose is revealed, you will be known and you will be important. See, Esther went through a season of preparation to prepare her to be chosen by the king, to be used by God to destroy the enemy's plan to destroy the Jews. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. It's not like Jesus needed to learn who he already was. But even Jesus went through a season of obscurity for he fulfilled his purpose. And some of you feel like you're living in Nazareth now. You feel unknown. You feel unimportant. 
You feel like you're in a place in your life that's hard to understand. And you're wondering, how can anything good come out of where I'm at? Well, in the book of Exodus, God's people went through a season of obscurity too. They were in a place that was hard to understand. They were God's chosen people. But yet they felt so unimportant. Felt like they'd been forgotten. And to top it off, they were in this place because God allowed it. He was allowing their adversity to change them. And those are tough places to learn, to understand what you're going through is for your greater good. It was a long season before they were set free out of the Egyptian bondage at the hands of a king pharaoh. They were being held and used as slaves by pharaoh. They worked hard. They were often beaten by their slave masters. And even many died through their sufferings there. But they began to cry out to God, pleading for him to intervene, for him to deliver them from their bondage. They repented daily. Don't lose sight of the fact these are God's chosen people, the Israelites, who are being mistreated. But God knew exactly where they were at, and he knew exactly what they're going through. God knew what they were going through was for a greater purpose. It makes sense as long as it isn't you going through the suffering, though, right? It's hard to understand when you're the one in the tough season, right? They had become disobedient, and God was teaching them obedience is greater than sacrifice. Christ had learned obedience through his sufferings. God was shaping and molding them through such an unpleasant experience. He loved them enough to even to discipline them. Pharaoh all along thought he was in control. No, God was just using him to break them of their disobedience. Don't lose sight of the fact that when God's people cry out to their Abba Father, he hears their cries. And it's his desire to show himself strong on their behalf. And yet you see in their story, things actually went from bad to worse before things ever got better. Why? Because when Pharaoh, the enemy, learned of the plan of the people to revolt, he turned up the heat. That's what the enemy has always done. When he learns of God's plan to deliver his people, when he knows deliverance is coming, he turns up the heat and pressure upon God's people. He made them work harder and longer to distract them in an effort to cause them to lose hope. It's where we're at today. His schemes have not changed. So many people are on the verge of a breakthrough, but they give up just a moment too soon. Because it's always the hardest right before the breakthrough. You women who deliver babies know the worst pain is, is, is before the last push that sets the birth in motion. So many have had a breakdown right before they could have had a breakthrough. The pressure causes us to cave in for doubt to set in. His tactics haven't changed. How many times have you been discouraged when you've prayed for things to get better, but they got worse? Doesn't it make you even feel more discouraged? You prayed for a good doctor report, and you got a worse one? But then suddenly, ah, things turned around. Why? Because it was time. It's all in God's timing. So if you've been wondering why are things escalating so fast and pressures mounting at an all-time pace, it's because the enemy knows his time is short, actually shorter than it's ever been. He knows the word of God. He's very aware of his prophesied defeat. He's very aware of the times. He knows Jesus is coming back this time, not as a lamb, but as a lion. Because God, like always, is fixing to deliver his people from his hands. So hang on in your season of obscurity. When you feel unnoticed, when you feel unimportant, when you're unable to understand things, because what you're facing is no match for God who is fighting for you. God's hand is upon you and is stronger than your enemy's hand, and he knows it. God's hand is one of provision, protection, and power. God knew the enemy had taken hold of God's people with a strong hand that they alone could not break free of his grip. He knows the same thing about us today. See, in Exodus 31, 19, God said to his people, I know the king of Egypt will not let you go. 
unless a mightier hand compels him. You got to understand, church, God's hand is mightier. So he said in verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. <laughs> I feel like they just woke somebody's defeated spirit up in here. Woo! There's fixing to be a woke generation, all right? A generation woken by the spirit of God that will wreak havoc on the kingdom of darkness, not by power, not by my might, but by my spirit of God, saith the Lord of hosts. I prophesy that there will be a generation that will begin to believe that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. And I've come to tell you, there is a hand that's got a hold of you, but there is a hand that's mightier than your enemy's hand, and it's the mighty hand of God. America, hold on. He's fixing to strike our enemy with all his wonders, and then he will let us go. Hallelujah. Come on, church. It was the mighty hand of God. In the ten plagues of judgment, God sent against Pharaoh, the Israelites' enemy, that caused Pharaoh to let God's people go and be free from the enemy's bondage. The enemy won't let you go. Unless there's another hand that is stronger than his. And there is. It's the mighty hand of God. There's too many folks that have been in bondage for too long. And the enemy has convinced you you're never going to be free. It's a lie from the pits of hell. You just got to believe greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The church has got to once again believe. Something good is about to come out of this place we are in as a nation. There is a movement that's starting to move because God's hearing the cries of his people and God's fixing to send the deliverer to declare to Pharaoh, let my people go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Philip's response to Nathaniel's negative response about Jesus coming from Nazareth was when he said, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and you'll see. I say to this world, come to the Savior and see if something good don't come out of your messed up life. Something good come out of your dysfunctional family. Something good come out of your rebellious children. Your children's children, your son that's afar off, your daughter who's broken and wounded, your brother who's addicted, your mother that's afflicted. After your season of obscurity, you will fulfill your purpose. More people know who Christ is now after he fulfilled his purpose than before during his season of obscurity. When all things work together for your good, when your season of feeling unnoticed, unimportant, when you're seasoned of not being able to understand why you're going through what you're going through, it is then your purpose will be revealed. The purpose for what you went through will be known. And it's always going to be for your greater good. God will take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for your good. When the hand of God is upon your life, you'll learn your father's hand is stronger than your Pharaoh's. Your father's hand can make your Pharaoh let you go. Come. You'll see. See, a lot of people have been saved, but they've never been free. Ought not be. Because even though Christ sets you free, you still believe Pharaoh had control over you. You still believe the lies. Even though God forgave you, you wouldn't forgive yourself. You came out of Egypt, but Egypt didn't come out of you. Well, I've come to destroy that lie with the truth and tell you whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You're free to live. You're free to love. You're free to laugh. You're free to be who God purposed you to be. See, it's easy to believe God's hand will bring you provision and protection, but it's hard to understand. He also uses it to apply pressure to your life at times to position you to bring freedom to your life. God's mighty hand is at work in our lives. Even when we see it, even when we don't see it, 
He's working. He never stops. Never stops. Never stops. Never stops. He never stops. He never stops. He never stops. See, Moses knew the mighty hand of God all too well. See, even when he was a baby, although he didn't see it, God's hand was upon him, but God had a plan for him. When Moses was a baby, Pharaoh was killing all the Hebrew boys, but not him. His mother put him in a basket, sent him down the Nile River. And the Bible said that that basket floated downstream into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter, and she ended up raising him. Have you ever thought much about that? How in the world did he float as a baby all the way down that river as a baby in a basket and not be eaten by alligators? Have you ever thought about that? How could he have survived unless there was a hand? I'm thankful for all the times the hand of God has protected me, guided me, stopped me from the things I didn't even know were about to destroy me. And had it not been his hand on me, I wouldn't be here today. But there were also times I do know, had it not been for the hand of God in my life, I would have died. That stuff alone is enough for me to praise him every day. God looked at the Israelites in Egyptian bondage. He's seen the added pressure being put on their life in an attempt to break them before they gave, had a breakthrough. God says, I see your struggle. This is for someone tonight. I want you to listen real closely. I see you trying to get through this difficult place in your life, through your own strength. You felt despised. You felt rejected. You've been making bricks without straw, doing everything you know to do to survive. But tonight, God says, it's time for you to let my hand work in your life. Your enemy's hold is too strong for you alone to break. But my hand tonight can break this hold off of you, off of your marriage, off of your children, off of your health, off of your finances. I don't think we are understanding just yet the anointed appointment for tonight. God says, when I remove the enemy's hand off of you, there's something good going to come out of your Nazareth, this place that you've been in. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The surprising answer is yes, because it did. God chose to have his son, the Savior of the world, live in Nazareth. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are, not, that are not to nullify the things that are. We see often in Scripture, Joseph, Ruth, Gideon, David, all began in lowly, despised places. But God chose them and used them in great ways. If you're skeptical about anything good can come out of the place that you're in, then tonight take Philip's advice that he gave to Nathaniel. Come, and you will see. Nathaniel begins with his first impression of Jesus with skepticism, simply because of the place he was in. He asked that question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But his tone soon changes after an opportunity to speak with Jesus. In John 1, verse 49, now Nathanael claims, Rabbi, you are the son of God, and you are the king of Israel. Come, and you will see. God says tonight, come and see. Come speak with me, and you will see with my mighty hand something good can come out of you, out of your family, when I lay my hand on you and break your Pharaoh's grip. The enemy has been been even putting his grip on the church but God says tonight I break it with a stronger hand I'm about to reveal my purpose to the church for everything I've allowed you to go through 
palace of praise, I believe it's due time. God says what you've been through wasn't to destroy you. It's actually been to strengthen you. Church, I know you have felt obscure, at times unnoticed, unimportant at times. You've had trouble understanding this place that you're in. But know this, he says, I have never, never, ever taken my hand off of you. Matter of fact, this whole time I've had you in the palm of my hand. Even using your adversity to prepare you for something good to come out of you. I have called you for such a time as this. I have prepared you. I've have taken everything that you've been through. I've taken the good. I've taken the bad. I've taken the ugly. And I've worked it all together to strengthen you for the battle that lies ahead of you. And as a believer in these end times, there's an army rising up, I'm telling you, that's going to break every chain. For, for I'm going to send the spirit of Elijah back on the earth. And good things are going to come out of the least likely places and out of the least likely people. To confound the wise and to glorify my name. Here's what I believe God wants to minister through tonight. If my musicians would come. Through faith, of course. Faith is what pleases God. No matter what you're going through. Emotionally, physically, or spiritually. Maybe it's the hardest time of your life. Maybe you're really having trouble trying to understand all of this. The one thing you got to understand in spite of it all is God is good, and his hand is always working on your behalf. It's leading you. It's protecting you. It's stopping you. It's loving you. It's pressuring you. And even at times, it's correcting you to reveal God's purpose for your life. I'm going to take you to what had to be the most trying moment in Jesus' life as I close. The very last hours before things were going to go from bad to worse, before the good in him could be revealed to the world. By faith, he trusted God's plan for his life. And he proved it through an act of worship. The moment I'm talking about was but when it was considered the Last Supper, Jesus was going to eat with the disciples for the very last time. At this supper, he had just revealed one, one of them would betray him. And that his hour was at hand to be handed over to be crucified. Reminding them he would be crucified as an innocent man. Where he would pay for the sins of the world with his shed blood. Which was his father's will for his life. And after eating... Of all the things he could have done, knowing what he was facing in the place that he was in, the Bible says he sang a hymn, a worship song. He sung of the goodness of God in spite of what he was facing. He sung Psalms 118. He trusted God that although the place he was in was dismal, Something good would come out of his life in due time, as God had promised him. He sang, why? Because this once baby boy, who was born of a virgin, in a stable in Bethlehem, raised by a peasant father named Joseph, in a little unknown, disrespected town of Nazareth, lived 30 years in obscurity, yet he was the son of God. He knew regardless of who he was, who he was raised by, where he was raised, facing what he was facing, he knew he was going to rise above it all one day, even death, and be who God called him to be, the risen Savior of the world. Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And because he did, so can you, so can I. He sung a song of victory because he already knew and believed victory was coming. The next day, he was crucified. His side was pierced with a soldier's sword. He shed his blood. It ran down and took away the sins of the world. He cried out, it's finished, to proclaim. He had fulfilled his purpose for his life here on earth. It was revealed that day to all. All that he went through had a greater purpose.
And it was revealed to the world that day what good could come out of a hole-in-the-wall town called Nazareth that was despised and rejected by many? The answer was the Savior of the world. So tonight, I want everyone that will. I know we're all facing something. I want you to stand with me. In just a moment, I'm going to invite every one of you to come and stand and sing this song. Why? As an expression of faith that you believe and are ready to rise up in 2022. To declare that regardless of the place you are in, that you believe the hand of God it's going to bring something good out of the place you're in, out of the circumstances you're in, in due time. Regardless of your color, your age, your social status, he's not a respecter of persons. How are you going to break the grip your enemy has on your family, your marriage, your health, your finances, off your family, off your children? You're not going to in your own strength. Only God's mighty hand can break that grip tonight. I'm going to ask you to come and you will see if you're in a place where you can't see how anything good can come out of what you're going through, out of the place you're in, I want you to come and sing a song as to say, I don't understand the purpose, but I know what I'm going through has purpose. I'm ready to rise up. I'm ready to arise and shine and let my enemies be scattered. I believe tonight we're going to hear some chains falling. That God's going to say to your enemy, let him go. Let her go. Let that family go. Let that church go. With this hand, he'll remove the hand of your Pharaoh off your life. So I'm going to ask as the body of Christ, those who say, I am ready to rise up above where I am at. In my circumstances, my situations, in the place our nation is, in the place we are as a church, God has asked me to come and rise up. And to, to God, I ask you to come and join together and sing this song about the goodness of God and let God minister to us through our worship. Let him know that even in the worst of times, you still believe he's God. Come and declare, I'm going to rise up. My family's going to rise up. My children are going to rise up. This church is going to rise up. This nation's going to rise up in 20, 2022. Would you join us and sing this song together? And as you do, just think of how good God is. All my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God.
season of obscurity sing of the goodness of God go ahead and sing the victory song because victory's coming you're in the place you're in for a purpose the church has been in the place it's been in for a purpose but I'm telling you God's fixing to reveal the purpose of the church we're fixing to be the enemy's greatest nightmare because there's a body of Christ that's fixing to rise up above it all and our enemies are fixing to be scattered. Can you give the Lord one more great praise for who he is? God bless you. Have a great week. I love you.